All right, speaking of organ donation, uh, with a breakfast like this, I think I need another stomach. That's, a, that's quite a breakfast, I'll tell you what. So, yeah, so when I spoke to Yossi, is that what you go by? Yeah. Yossi? So he wanted a hot topic. I had a different, I had a whole different uh, uh, shear, a few different shear that was fascinating, I think are fascinating, but he wants something hot. So here we are. Oh, very good, very good. So organ donation. So I, when I was growing up, I think we all may have heard that, you know, Judaism is not a big fan of organ donation. Maybe you heard, the truth is it really depends on a lot of things. And I'm sure by now you've heard of a lot of people who donate their kidneys. It's a very well-known thing. There's a whole organization that uh, runs and a lot of from people are giving their, their kidneys and they, they celebrate it and it's, it's not even controversial. You have two, you got a spare, save someone's life, what could be bad, right? So the real issue that you're dealing with when you come to organ donation is the organs that you cannot give while you're alive, right? And there's a whole bunch of them. There's your heart, there's your liver, there's your lungs, right? You, if you give them, you're, not long, you're, no, you're, not longer, you're no longer with us. So the real issue that happens when it comes to organ donation is a certain law in Judaism known as Ritzicha, which means killing people, right? You can't kill someone, which means that, you know, it's interesting, there was, a, there was a health insurance company in Israel that covered organ donations anywhere in the world. And so they discovered that a lot of people were getting their organ donations in China. And they said, okay, they, they looked into it, and they said, that's interesting that you guys are scheduling your organ donations. In other words, a person needs a liver. They'd say, okay, come in three weeks on this and this date, and we'll uh, do the donation. Or your heart, in a month, come in this and this day, we'll do it on that day. How exactly do you schedule that? Kill people. That is correct. The only way to do that is to kill someone. Because where are you going to get a heart or a liver on a specific date? Right? Where are you going to get it exactly? Right? If you need an organ from someone, a donor, what you really need is someone who is kind of healthy, meaning that the organ isn't diseased, let's say by cancer or whatever, and who is literally, has literally just died, like that minute, and they're in the same city in the same location, right? Because to transport the organ, it, it, you can do it, but it's not great. So how exactly are you doing that? How can you schedule an organ donation in China a month out? And the answer is political dissidents. Chinese would take people they don't like, and they would schedule for you to get their liver or their heart. And this company in Israel decided they're no longer going to cover that. Right, which is probably the right thing to do. So here is the key, the key thing you need to know. Right? When someone receives an organ from a donor, like I said, you want it from someone who literally just died, like 10 seconds ago. You're gonna wait, count the clock when they're dead, immediately take the organ, because the organ, the minute someone dies, begins to deteriorate. It's gonna get worse and you know, within a short time not be useful to anyone at all. And, I mean, unless you put it on ice, it's not so simple. How do you do that? How do you schedule that? Right? So part of the bigger question is, when is someone dead? How do we know if someone's dead? Abraham Lincoln is dead. It's been a while. Right? But if you're in a hospital and someone's in a bed and they're dying, how do you know that now they've died? And I want to explain to you that this is not a question that science can answer. If you're going to answer me that every cell in the body is no longer functioning, you're going to be around for a while. 
because the cells are going to function for days. You know, digestion, whatever, it'll keep going. What makes someone dead? Any, anybody know? See, what's that? It's like what? Okay, so you see someone lying on the ground. They have no heartbeat. What else? The blood pressure. Well, if they have no heartbeat, there's no blood pressure. Breathing. No breathing? They're not breathing. Okay, so that would mean someone with a heart attack is dead. Oh, so you're, at, you're adding something. And define, what's brain dead mean? What makes someone alive? What makes, oh, <laughs> they <learned her laughs> what makes someone alive? So you're saying once you know what makes someone alive, you know what makes someone dead. Uh, you know, there are people who, now let's start with the first thing. Whatever it is we're talking about, is it lack of breath? Is it lack of heartbeat? Is that, if someone's heart is no longer beating, are they dead? Neshama left and doesn't come back. Very good. How do you detect? Do you have a Neshama detector? Wait a little bit. Oh, it's, <laughs> <laughs> save our and see if they sit up. You know? <laughs> oh, the Neshama's still there. You know? This is a problem. Again, science can tell you what you are looking at. It can't tell you what death is. Right? Unless, like I said, unless you literally wait till every, every single cell is not functioning. So in 1968, the U.S. government reached out to Harvard, it's not a great place to reach out for much of anything these days, but they reached out to Harvard to ask them, um, how should we define death, right? Particularly because they were just starting the early days of trying to do organ donation. It was this question, I want to cut someone open the second they die. So if you look at the front page of what I gave you here, so Harvard gave a four-part answer. Number one, unreceptivity and unresponsivity. The patient shows total unawareness to external stimuli and unresponsiveness to painful stimuli. So they just don't respond to their environment. Again, this could be someone unconscious or in a coma, so there's going to be more. No movements or breathing. All spontaneous muscular movement, spontaneous respiration, and response to stimuli are absent, so they're not breathing on their own at all. No reflexes. Fixed and dilated pupils, lack of eye movement, etc. And lastly, number four, a flat EEG, so EEG is electroencephalograph, which is electrodes that are put on the head to detect brain activity. It's a little rudimentary. These days they have more advanced uh, systems, but I don't know that if they use them to detect death. And this says, considered to be valuable confirmatory evidence, meaning you don't need it, but uh, it helps. So what would you do to check if someone's dead? The doctors would come in with a pin, Right? Someone's lying on the bed, start poking their body to see if there's any response, check their reflexes in their ear, in their eyes, right? And if no, there's no response, they talk to them, they don't say it, there's no movement, there's no nothing, there's no pulse, there's no breath, they say, fine, the person is dead. By the way, unless you're a doctor, this is not so easy to detect. If, you, if people, there is an old thing about, I don't know when it was, in the Middle Ages, where they um, occasionally started building into coffins a bell. Have you heard about this? Okay, so they literally would have situations where during a funeral, somebody would wake up and start knocking. Because a person who was very barely there and just breathing very shallow, and they're like, I guess he's not breathing. And they'd say he's dead, and then they'd bury him, right? So they started, some people like paid for a coffin where they could ring a bell, right? To say, I'm still in here. It's a pretty crazy thing. So some governments started making laws you have to wait three days after. Saved by the bell. That's literally where it's from. That's crazy. literally where it's from. Wow. So that's saved by the bell, exactly. So it's an even, even older car. It's an older car. See, you learn something new every day. There you go. Right? 
So, uh, so the, some governments made rules that you have to wait three days after someone's dead before you bury them, which, by the way, the Yidden started fighting. They said, we don't do that, right? So it became an issue because the people would wake up. So this is the standard that the United States government established in 1968, okay? And um, there's, if you turn the page and you look at this chart, which works better in color than it does in black and white, um, this is from the 2007 New England Journal of Medicine, which discusses which category of death was used to determine uh, death for, a, for an organ donation. So you have three things. You have cardiac death, brain death expanded criteria, that means you use the EEG, and brain death standard criteria without the EEG. You'll notice that cardiac death is not very popular, right? People did not wait for cardiac death because cardiac death would be the last thing. It would take a long time. People don't realize that their heart, or the heart of any mammal, functions on electric. You can take the heart out of any uh, mammal and put it on a table and it would beat for a while. Like literally, it's not in the body anymore. It doesn't need a brain, right? So if you're gonna wait for the heart to stop, this person is long dead. And the problem is, if you do that, maybe the organs that you're trying to get are kaput, they're not very useful. So nobody wanted to wait for cardiac death, right? For literally for the heart to stop. So instead, they went with this thing we just described, but they didn't want to do an EEG, right? They just wanted to do their thing, and that was the majority of these cases where they took the body, took the organ. Now, the question is, what does Yiddishkeit have to say? What does the Torah have to say? You say, where in the world, is, certainly the Torah is probably, at least the Gemara is probably not going to talk about organ donation. I guess they give a prize if you can think of a Gemara that talks about organ donation. I don't know. I mean, you know, one of the, one of the Tanaim took out his chalev and he put it on the thing to rot, didn't rot. I don't know if that's organ donation, right? So I don't, but where are you going to find a discussion of time of death, right? So one of the simple solutions is in a case where a building has fallen down, a house has fallen down on Shabbos, right? And you have to go in there and you got to save whoever's in there. Okay, so there's somebody in there. What if you get to them and you realize they're dead? They died. So that's it. You can't be Michal Shabbos anymore to save their life. There's no life to save. So you just leave them there until after Shabbos and you make a Leviah. But what do you do? You got them. How do you check if they're alive? So if you look at the first source here in the Gemara, it says a person upon uh, 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 whom a whole building has fallen is excavated on Shabbos. Right? This is not only true if it's unclear if he's there, but also if we're not sure if he's alive. If we find them alive, we excavate him. The Gemara says, obviously, what is meant is that even if he will only live for a very short time, because we consider living for a short time to be valuable. Rebbe taught, until where do we check? So you're starting to dig them out, and you get this far, okay? So where do you check? What are you going to check now? It says, until his nose. What are you checking for? What are you checking for in the nose? Breath. You're checking for breath. So that's how you check for life. Until, um, some say until the heart. I think the Yerushalmi says, Tibor, Tib, Tabor, until the navel. Life is through the nose, as it says. All in whose nostrils was the breath of life. That's from Bracious. Okay. Rashi says, if he has, as a dead person whose limbs are not moving, then if there's no breath coming out. So first of all, Rashi says, obviously, if he's moving and he can't breathe, you don't call him dead, right? Someone who, who can't breathe because he's being crushed. You don't say, well, you're dead, you can't breathe, right? Not moving, no breath. So the, this Gemara seems to say that what? What makes someone dead? What makes someone dead? Breath. breath. Lack, lack of ability to breathe, right? 
So, this is going to be the central source of how we determine whether someone is dead. And it seems to be what Rav Meisha holds is the main source for this. By the way, you'll notice it says here also, some say until the belly. What do you need the belly for? So, right, one opinion, it's Machlekes Bavli Yerushalmi, Tabor or Lev, right? So one opinion would say it's really the same thing. It's the same as breath. It's just there's two ways to check for breath. In fact, if I asked you, if someone had a very shallow breathing, could you tell from their nose whether they're breathing? What, what would you do? Would you, like, listen? Would you feel? What, what would you do exactly? What would you say? In the olden days, they say, they like, take a mirror, try to get some... You have a mirror on you? I mean, you're tefillin at Shabbos. You don't have to tefillin with you. Where, where you got a mirror? Who has a mirror? Right? So maybe what you do is you, like, you look at the, the belly, see if it's rising. It's still going to be the same opinion that sounds like it's breath. Some people say, wait a minute, maybe that means the heart. Maybe it's like, I can't tell from the nose, let me check the heart. It's going to be a machlegis. Believe me, this is a very, very simplified version of, the, of a very complex topic. Okay, now look, by the way, at number six. So the number six is a halacha in Shulchan Aruch that says... That if there's a pregnant woman who's dying, and she dies, you can cut her open and take the baby out. Which makes sense. Why not? Why not save the baby? Right? So the Ramah says, we don't do that anymore. Why don't we do that anymore? He says, because we're not really good at telling time of death. It's like, right, she might be alive. Really what we want to do is wait a little extra to make sure... Right, and then, uh, and then uh, and by that time, might not save the baby, so it's too late. I just want to point out, by the way, that this particular issue leads to very, very po- problematic and challenging moral uh, dilemmas, because there are people in the hospital, and they've been there in the hospital, and there's Nebuch, like a teenager who's dying from some sort of liver disease. And um, the parents are there crying. It's a teenager who, if they get a liver, they'd live another, you know, 100 years. And down the hall is some guy who just crashed his motorcycle. You know, some, you know, some, some, just some guy who was drunk and driving a motorcycle. Who the doctors say for sure will not live more than another day. Right? He's, he's alive for another 24 hours. News to take his liver and give it to the kid. Right? Take his liver and give it to the kid. We can't do that. It's Ritzicha. I mean, it's, and by the way, you'll notice how it said even a short amount of life, right? Even a short amount of life is considered valuable life. It's a very painful thing to choose and say, here's a teenager who really is an innocent kid who deserves nothing but life. And here's some guy who got drunk and rode his motorcycle and he's going to die in a day or two. And why can't we just save one life in place of another? You know, just take one day off of his life. You know, by the way, because you know, we can't say that someone who's in the process of dying is dead, right? Because if you say that what defines death is you have started an irreversible process that leads to death, then that started the day you were born. So we can't really call that death, okay? Mir Hashem. So now, he just says the Hanhaga was not that they don't do it anymore. The Ramah may not comment on that. The Ramah is commenting and saying, you see this halacha that we do cut open the women, and you're going to ask me why you don't see that happening nowadays. I'll tell you it's because we don't feel so comfortable that we can tell. That's him speaking about the hanhaga of his time. That doesn't mean it can't change nowadays. Believe me, by the time we get to the end of this year, we're going to hear a lot of interesting different things. Right? And in this time, like, if, if you were 100% sure the woman died? Well, in his time, what, what methods did you have other than checking for breath? 
what, yeah, yeah, I mean, so that's the story. Now, so one of the most complex and big issues that came up is what does Rav Moshe Feinstein hold? Of course, Rav Moshe Feinstein was very often consulted on issues of these matters. You know, he was well-respected and he had a son-in-law who was a doctor and they asked him, what do, you, what do you think of these issues? And clearly people would assume that whatever Rav Moshe says goes and that's that. So he was originally asked, you'll notice I brought you a few tshuvas from Rav Moshe. I'm skipping to D for a reason, don't worry. I know there's a, there's a C over there. And I put the, the year of the tshuva in there, starting with 1968. So heart transplants began in the, in the late 60s, and it's very famous that there was a very successful heart transplant, except what's not so famous is that very soon afterwards, both the donor and the recipient died, right? Because it was experimental. That's how you learn how to do things. You try them out, you see how it goes. So Rav Moshe said, those transplants are double murder. You're killing the donor, you're killing the recipient. The recipient would have lived another three months, now they live for three weeks. So you're a murderer, right? So if you look at that, you say, oh, Rav Moshe is against uh, transplants. But the truth is, you could say that's different. That was before people could survive. Now they can survive. But you go a little further, look at number three. The end of brain activity is not death because according to Halacha, as long as he is breathing, he is still alive. The end of brain activity is simply something which will lead to death and the end of respiration. So this is, again, in 1970. The question is, to what degree do we know, do we know the brain is not functioning? Let's describe for a moment what brain death means. Brain death means the brain is 100% dead. Not only has it died, but it will not re revive, and it has begun to deteriorate. Yeah, you had a question. So, right, that's, that's a very big problem, because generally speaking, brain death will, lead to the, will very, very quickly lead to the end of breathing. Right? The heart can keep going, the, brain, the, the, the breathing will not. So if someone is actually brain dead, they should not be breathing. Part of the biggest problem that we have that, has, that has modern medicine has created here is that you can put someone, someone, let's say, God forbid, is in an accident. You put them in a heart and lung machine, it's breathing for them. Their heart is beating. They can go for days and days and days with no brain, with no brain, because the heart doesn't need anything. The heart just needs uh, its electrical impulses. You give them nutrition through a needle, and the body below the neck can function for a good long time. Now, if you say, we're now declaring that person is dead because the brain is dead, so you're in a great place for organ donation because everything below the neck is healthy and you can take out these healthy organs and the person is dead and you haven't murdered them. Gewaldic, right? But you first have to determine halachically whether we hold of that, right? I do want to say that there's a book that you might want to read. It's in the local library. It's called The Undead. And the reason you might want to read it it's not a Jewish book. It's just by a, um, a, a local, whatever, a, a journalist who was looking into the discussion about organ donation and do the hospitals actually check sufficiently to make sure someone is dead before they take the organs or are they so overwhelmed by the emotion of it and they go right ahead and they go a little early. So he discovered that in a lot of cases they're not fully checking. They're not really checking 100% to make sure because you feel, you feel bad, right? He, he became persona non grata. They didn't like him in the hospitals. It's in the local DeKalb library. It's called The Undead. And I'll tell you another story, which is in another book in the local library by a Dr. Harold Clowens, who was a doctor in Chicago. So he was a neurologist, and it was his job to be the guy who would go and determine whether someone is dead. He's a neurologist. He knows the, ner the nervous system, right? So what happened was right around the time that various places were 
trying to race to be the first to do a heart transplant in the United States, only a certain amount of hospitals were capable of doing that. But the reason why you can't just decide to be the first hospital to do a heart transplant is because while everybody has recipients, not everyone has a donor. Can't arrange to have a donor. You'd have to like pick someone off the street and kill them, right? So what they had is everything is ready. They have a recipient ready. They have everyone like, like on call with beepers or whatever they're gonna have. And the minute they get a, a, a donor, they're gonna go and boom. So one night it's three in the morning. He gets a call, that's it, we've got a donor, guy got in a motorcycle crash, a young guy, healthy heart, get over here as quick as you can. So he gets over, he runs over, gets into the room, there's a guy there, Nebuch, doesn't look too good, not moving, nothing at all. So he starts with his tests, with his pins, starts pricking the toes, you know, pricking the this, 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 talking, can you hear me, can you hear me move, you can hear me, nothing, zero. So he takes out a flashlight, goes over to the guy's eyes, he flashes in one eye, boop, Right? And there the iris moves with a reflex. Okay, that's funny. Goes to the next one. Boop! The reflex, the eye moves as well. Okay, maybe he's not. Maybe he's almost dead. But then he thinks, did I just see him blink? That, that would be even stranger. So he goes outside. And he comes and he says, tell me a little bit about this guy. Is anyone here? They say, well, his girlfriend just showed up. So they talk to her. And she says, yeah, he, he, he loved the driving because he was deaf. And this was one of the only things he had for the going for him. And, and so he, he rode motorcycles, he says, well, hang on a second. He goes back inside, and he leans over the guy's face, and he says, can you read lips? If you can, please blink once. Blink. And then he says, okay, now blink twice. Blink, blink. And then he says, were you able to read the lips of the people who were bringing you here in the helicopter? And tears start coming out of his eyes. He's deaf and paralyzed. They took him off the accident, put him in a helicopter, and the entire way they're talking about how they're going to take his heart out, and he can't respond because he's paralyzed. So he comes out and he says, not only he's not dead, he's conscious. And they were mad at him. They were angry at him. They were about to be the most famous. The crazy part is the way the story ends that he called a week later and said, how's the guy doing? They said, he died. He said, from what? He was paralyzed. He wasn't ill. And he feels like the hospital just didn't take care of him because they realized it was a major lawsuit because basically they didn't stabilize him in the, in, the, in the helicopter on the way to check for any internal injuries or anything like that because they were just so excited to take the guy's heart out. This is a true story. Anyway, so the point is, there's a difference between whether brain death is death and to what degree you will trust someone to determine that it is brain death. Again, that doesn't mean it can't be done. If we determine brain death is death, that's, that's a whole different discussion. Right? So again, EEG is one. EEG is electroencephalograph. You do all these things. I mean, nowadays you have things like PET scans where you inject a dye to, to look for certain uh, brain activity. I don't know how far they go nowadays to determine brain death, but another thing that you can Google, which is online, is that there was a famous story where a young man was in an accident. I don't know if it was an accident or he was sick, and he was declared brain dead. Right? And his father is now standing by, sitting by his bedside, and he says, no, my son's not brain dead. He's, he's here with me. Now, 99% of the time, that's not true. People feel whatever they feel. But he said, that's it. No one's going to pull him off the machines. He's alive. He's going to recover. So like a good American, he went and got his gun. And he brought the gun to the hospital. And he sat in the room with his son and didn't let anyone take the machines off. And the guy is perfectly fine today. The guy was declared brain dead. So I spoke to a doctor. He said it must have been some either like some 
hospital in the middle of nowhere who doesn't know what they're doing. Because the truth is, most of the time, people are correct. You can determine brain death. It can be done. It just, they didn't, either they wanted the organs or I don't know what. It's a scary situation. What's that? What'd you say? I'm not blaming on anyone. Yeah, what was the question? How far do they go in a regular instance to determine It's a great question. That's, you can go read the book, The Undead. That's really what he investigated. Some hospitals will do it fully, some won't. Some nurses, it's just who's on staff? Is this a nurse who has this, this, this heart? It's like, oh, you know, this person down the hall could use a donation. All right, whatever, 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 dead. You know, I don't know. I'm assuming the majority of the time it's legitimate. I don't really think the majority of people are literally just like either incompetent or immoral, right? But the first question we have to determine is, is brain death death? And if it is, then we can start this discussion, right? Is there any other other Yes, there is. And the crazy part about that is the part that is, that is the most interesting is number C with decapitation. And the most interesting part is not on this paper, but I'll tell you about it. Yeah, it's like this. So in Eretz Yisrael, there is a man whose name is Dr. Avraham Steinberg. Okay, Dr. Avraham Steinberg is a uh, a doctor, and he's a big Talmud Chacham, right? I think he's associated with Shari Tzedek. And throughout his life, he was very close with Shlomo Zalman Arbach and with various other poskim. And so there came a time in Eretz Yisrael to make this determination: Can we use brain death to take organs? Because as we talked about before, that is the best way to take organs. So now, so... Um, Hold on, are there, are there other ways besides that? You can wait for cardiac death, like we saw. But it's in, you're, in a lot of cases, the organ won't be, won't be available anymore, and it's just, you, won't, you will have so a fraction of the amount of donors. So there's really another option. There is a minimal option. I mean, it's, it's not great. Brain death is the perfect option because you literally have a fresh thing ready to go. You see the graph. You see exactly, exactly. Yeah. Hold on, well, let's see. Let's hear. Let's hear the story. You'll see. You'll see. You'll see. Hold on, we're not done yet. Yeah. So, Dr. Avram Steinberg went to a Shlomo Zalman Arbach. I think he might be called that. I don't know. So, yeah. No, this is different. I know they're both doctors and they're both involved in medical ethics. So this is a true story. You can check it out with uh, Dr. Avram Steinberg. He went through Shlomo Zalman Arbach. And Shlomo Zalman Arbach said, what, what is the Shaila? He says, look at this. Look at this mission in Ahalais, C1. So it says that an animal whose head is cut off but is still moving, it makes, can make you tame. So that means... It's dead. That's right. An animal whose head is cut off is dead. Of course, you can have the machlekes and mefarches between a yid and a guy, whether you can eat the thing. Right? Even though you're a yid, theoretically, you're a yid, you can theoretically eat something that's jumping around like a chicken. I still think it would be mistama usher because of uh, bal tashaktu, but uh, so don't don't do that. But meikar aden shchita makes a kasher. But the fact is, the rule is, an animal whose head is cut off is dead and can make tumah. Okay. So he said to Rishlam Zalman, "What is it in the head that we're looking for? The nose, the eyes? No, for the brain." If we can determine that the brain, which is the part of the head that matters, is dead, afalp that it's not physically cut off, that should mean the person is dead. Well, and that's a Mephorisha Mishnah. Somebody's brain dead. Yes. Theoretically, yes. Well, here, watch, wait for the story. Wait for the story. You're, you're on the way. Very good. So Shlaim Zalman Arbach said, I'm not comfortable with that because I personally know of a story where there was a woman who was pregnant, 
like she was in the ninth month. And uh, they brought her to the hospital and she, because she was in, a, in an accident. They declared her brain dead. So they put her on the heart-lung machine for a few days until the baby was born. She said, you're going to tell me the person is dead with brain death, but it was a lady who gave birth to a baby. Right? You can't tell me that that person is dead. So they said to Rav Shlomo no, the truth is, the, bo- the, the, the rest of the body below the neck will generally function for a while on heart and lung. So let me ask you this, Rav Shlomo If we took a pregnant animal and sliced its head 100% clean off, and then afterwards it gave birth, would that be a raya that giving birth doesn't prove that you're alive? Because you can't, you can't argue on a Mishnah. The Mishnah says the, heart, the head is off, it's dead. So Shlomo Zalman said, technically, yeah, that proves it's dead, and that proves that giving birth doesn't, doesn't uh, prove anything. So they said, great, how long do you want the head to be off? <laughs> I think he said something like half an hour. And that is exactly what they did. They got a sheep that was pregnant, waited till it was about to give birth, brought it with a video camera into a hospital with a surgical unit. They sliced its head 100% off, placed it on the table. They must have had the bleeding, recir- the, the blood recirculated, and they had a you know, breathing tube down its, down its trachea. And they just sat there and schmoozed for half an hour. They counted to however they had to wait. Then they induced labor, and a nice, healthy baby sheep was born. They induced labor. Yeah. I, I, I think they induced. What's it make a difference, though? Yeah, well, PK gave birth. I, I'm assuming they induced, because how else did they know? Maybe they didn't induce. Maybe they waited around. Doesn't nature at the end, when you die, all your excrements just draw out the body from all sides? Yeah, okay, let's say. Maybe. So maybe that's how they birth. No, giving birth requires a lot more. Giving birth requires, it's not like a, a, a process of excrement. It's, I mean, there's a lot more that goes into it. By the way, I said you this man. No, no, no. Afo Piquet. Afo Piquet, which Shlema is the one who came up with this. So he said... I don't even know what year it was. It's a very, it's a very famous story. No, 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 no. Probably like nineties. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they came back to Islam with the video. I don't know if he watched the video or if he just trusted the Adis, you know. And he said, "You're right. It proves that my story about the pregnant woman is Nishkanraya." However, he was still concerned. Islam was still concerned whether brain death could be fully determined. When we say brain death, we mean to the extent that the brain is so dead that it's now beginning to deteriorate. And without taking the head off, how do you know, right? There are certain brain diseases that you can only diagnose once you literally take a biopsy of the brain, right? So, but Lemaisa Lemaisa, because of these stories, number one, plus because there are students of Rav Maisha and his son-in-law and his, uh, I think, one, at least one or two of Rav Maisha's sons who claimed that later in his years, when they showed him what Taka brain death was, that he, they claimed that he said it would be okay. So now, the combination of those factors, which the story with Shlomo Zalman Arbach, who basically said, you know, I could see how it could be based on the mission of Nahalais, and the, the people who claimed B'Shem of Moshe that it could be okay, there started a movement that people said that you can rely on brain death. There started, no, letter clearly from no, no, and, and that's the thing, the letters from Moshe are all against, so they'll tie, now, okay, that was the 60s and 70s. This is, this is now. Rav Maisha Tendler, I think, claimed that he literally brought Rav Maisha to see like, all the evidence, and Rav Maisha agreed. Supposedly, that's what he claimed. What's that? 
You saying it should have been in there? I think it's Moshe. There's a letter which said from the from Ramosha. Yeah. From Ramosha, I have seen the Harvard criteria, and it is okay. Right. Okay. The Harvard criteria. Criteria. Right. So very good. Very good. So <laughs> there you go. There. There you go. That's the problem. Maybe that's why, because people don't want to necessarily accept what's in Chelik Ches and, uh, you know, the later Chalakim of, of Moshe. First of all, it's interesting, because if you look at some of the later Chalakim, somebody, I think it was Mordechai Tendler, who, like, wrote his own, he wrote it in a different font, but he added his own words to sort of help, help you read it. Correct. So you would assume that in his stomach, and so there are videos of, of Ramesh's sons who say, Taka, it's true that he would have agreed, and we, we hold that he agrees of, of, for, to brain death based on this letter. His sons agree with the problem? Supposedly. I mean, the, in, a while back, there was this website, HODS, Hebrew Organ Donation Society, which was promoting that from people should sign up based on brain death. And they had videos of Ramesh's sons. I think they changed their name. I don't know what it's called now. You can go look for it and look for those videos. The truth is, I think Rabruvin is still alive. I mean, there's some, some of his family are still alive. It's Kadai to ask them what they think. But there were people who were the videos were, who said there were. Many other Poiskim strongly disagreed. And many of them said that cardiac death is the most important. And in fact, if you look at E, where it says opposing views, you have the Titzel Yezer, the Chacham Tzvi, the Chacham Seifer. Again, these are not necessarily about organ donation. In the YU world, yeah. Oh, he's against? Really, really. I thought it was like pretty much, uh, I mean, because you have in the bottom here, number five, Ravaren Salvechik, who was in their world, who also was against. So you can't kill based on a suffix. Yeah. Yeah. So where would the Mokar time that we would rely on the heart at all? We would what? Rely on the heart at all. Oh, oh, the, oh, yeah. If the, the, the answer is the Ahalais was the, what said that an animal with its head cut off is dead. So it, what's the relevant part of a head being cut off? It's the brain. If the brain is dead, so that means it's the same yeah, as being... I'm not asking about the brain. I'm asking about where is the, where, where, where the mucker, the, the heart being? Oh, the heart. Okay, very good, very good. Excellent. Where's the heart? Where's the heart? So if you look originally back at one of the first sources we looked at, which was number two, a person with, who fell the heart, the building fell upon them. So it says there that there's two things. It says you look for their breathing, right? And then it says, and if you can't do it, can't tell from the nose, you go till the heart. Right? Now the Yerushalmi says, Ara Tabor. So people could say that means breathing, but, but look at the next thing. Look at the next thing, number two, Rashi, number three. Rashi says, if he is dead, who's a person whose limbs are not moving, then you check the nose. And many can say, that includes the heart. So in other words, you could say, what Rashi says, first you obviously have to determine he's not moving, then you can check his nose. So they say, what moving? The heart is moving. The heart is beating. That's movement. I'm just yeah. relying on the little, yeah. little pieces taken in number four and five. The Shulchanar and the Rambam. Yeah. straight up and say you check his nose. You're right. And, and that's why Rav Maisha, Rav Maisha. you're coming top down on a, on a person. That's right. You don't need the nose. You would you stop. So right. Clearly it's, Theoretically, then the heart doesn't matter. But, but look at Rashi. Rashi specifies and says, obviously, if the person is moving, if the person is blinking, right, you're not going to say, well, he's dead, he, he's not breathing. So they said, well, if, if I could put check, check a pulse. So the argument about the heart would say, obviously, if there's, there has to be no sign of life otherwise, and then you check for the breathing, right? And that's, they say that's why Rashi said that. Because you first have to say, is he blinking? Is he, is he you know... Sticking out his tongue? I mean, is Rashi on 
Listen, this is a synopsis of a synopsis. Yeah, I mean, believe me, you should. All the questions you're asking are exactly the. Okay, so look at Rashi, look at Tyson, look at the Rishonim, look at, you know. And, and, and listen, I only gave you one line of the Shulchan Aruch. I didn't give you Shachantaz and, you know, and anything else. And if you, and I didn't give you, and if you look on E, where you see the Tzitzel Yez, the Chacham Tzvi, and Tshuva Cipher, they get very mad at me that all I did was quote one line of theirs from a 20 page Tshuva. Yeah. This is probably a dumb question, but like, unrelated to like the vital organs for, for the organization. Yes. Yeah, so let's, let's go to that right now. Let's go to that right now. So if you look at F, Nivel Hames, Nivel Hames. So being buried with all your organs is, you know, that there is such an idea, but, it, but obviously we are well aware that there are only three laws in Judaism that you don't violate to save a life. And that isn't one of them, right? So if a person could save a life, you know, Not so... What's that? Non-vital. Uh, that, I mean, that already we do. People give kidneys all the time right now, Right? Not at all. Not at all. Not remotely. Yeah. So if you look at nivel is a different thing. So let, let's look at it. So that's a good shaila. So let's let's see if we have it here. Right. Nivel is that you can't uh, can't desecrate a dead body uh, unnecessarily. So the shaila is, you know, how do we define necessarily? Right. So. Lamaisa, that is an Isser. And again, so it would seem that unless that's a matter of life and death, you probably wouldn't be able to do that. The question. Yeah, that's a good question. Corneal graphs and things like that. Let's see. Let me see. Let's see. Rav Kana said, we know that we follow the law of probability from the case of a murderer. Why do we not, why do we not fear that the victim may have been someone who is already mortally wounded? Is it not because we follow the majority? We should say we can examine the body. You can't do that. You can't examine the body of the dead because that would be autopsy. And you say, a man's life at stake, we should mutilate the body. So we say, whatever, you know. So I don't, I, honestly, it's a good question. I don't recall that being a problem, but perhaps it is. Maybe it's a, it's a good taina. I know that for certain, certainly for saving a life, we don't, we're not going that at all. In fact, if you turn, look at K, post-death organ donation and autopsy. Look at the Node Behuda, number one. If this is a matter of life and death, then why do you analyze this matter so much? It is a clear rule that even for potential danger, one may violate the Shabbos, which is far more serious. However, all of this applies when there is a danger to life present before us, such as an ill individual. So it seems, um, at the very least, um, primarily all of these chuvas are dealing with saving a life. So they're not, that's not an issue for saving a life. The Shiloh, it's a good Shiloh, my, my side, I don't really know. Yeah. Oh, hold on a second, let me, let me, let me just, uh, yeah. Similarly, what about like receiving, not just donating, but receiving, I mean, like, a non, let's say a non-Jews uh, organ. Yeah, yeah. Non-life. It's common. It's pretty common. Listen, this guys, people get heart, uh, you get pig, uh, pig valves, right? Right. It's, yeah. Is there yeah. any issue with, with like a non-Jewish organ? I don't think so. I mean, maybe Kabbalistically, but I'm not a Kabbalist. I'll leave that to you, I'll leave that to the, to the rest of the cover here. Yeah. Consult your local yeah. By the way, by the way, in all of this, consult your local Orthodox rabbi. This is a, a taste of the discussion. This is not a psak. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. What was you? Uh, I was going to ask about getting like a liver transplant from a non-Jewish. Uh, yeah. You, you should do it. If a person needs it, they should do it. That that you know that one you know, again. 
By the way, one last thing. This is really a, sep- a little bit of a separate topic. If uh, you know, if he's looking right to die with uh, Terry Shivo and all that business. I mean, this is really not even such a Shila. It's not really directly related to organ donation, but this issue of I, mean, I don't know if you guys remember the story with Terry Shivo. Remember that there was a, a young lady who had a heart uh, event, and she became, you know, she became non 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 communicative. Essentially, she was in a coma. <clears throat> um, and so there was an uh, there was an argument between her husband and her parents. Um, her, her parents wanted to keep her alive, just simply, you know. All, in fact, not, she didn't even need a heart and lung machine. All she needed was nutrition, just just food and water pumped in through her veins, and she was functional. Again, she wasn't conscious as far as they knew. Um, now the husband said, "My wife told me that if she's ever in such a situation, she wants to be left to die." That's what she told me, and that's her wishes, so we have to let, lead, let her die. And the parents said, no, just give her to us. We'll take care of her. Financially, we'll be responsible. Just, we'll get her out of your life. We'll put, her all, you know, we'll put, her, uh, the, the, put the food and the nutrition inside of her, and she'll live. You are 100% correct. That is right. He has a life insurance policy waiting. Gelt, you're right. And this is the crazy part. She's not sick. She just needs food and water. She will survive and live. She has no illness. I mean, she's mentally incapacitated, but all she needs is food and water. And the government ruled that the husband gets to decide, and they starved her to death. And they prevented people from feeding her. Because they said a person has a, you know, there's a, a hierarchy of who gets to, to speak after, you know, when a person's incapacitated. The husband gets to determine. He said, he claims that she said that she would never want to live this way. So we're going to keep her wishes, which is starve her to death. And they don't require documentation from her? Nope. Yep. Well, he gets to speak on her behalf. And as, as we pointed out, the parents were saying, just give her to us. Just give her to us. We'll take care of her. But as you pointed out, there's life insurance waiting. Yes. Yeah, I didn't read all that, but yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Oh, so a three-month-old baby. If I don't feed my three-month-old baby, I'm not killing them. It's, it's terrible. Right. That is correct. Now, the end of life issues, you run into a lot of very interesting situations. Which are correct. So Rav Maisha talks about this. And by the way, as modern medicine changes, things change. Because initially what would happen was, if someone's on a heart-lung machine, the truth is they may not be capable of, of spontaneous respiration without the machine. And so what would happen is, back in the olden days, there'd be an oxygen tank. The oxygen tank would eventually run out. And then if you're Rav Maisha, what you would do is wait a little bit. I didn't pull anything. I didn't pull any plugs. Just wait, see what happens. And if they're just not breathing anymore, it's okay, Nabuch. But now that never happens. There's no tanks. There's no tank to run out. For someone to come off the machine, someone has to actively pull the plug, so to speak. So it becomes a very complicated issue. At what point can you say someone is dead? Look out by that. Right, exactly. But that's an that's end of life issue. That, that, that's, not, that's not an organization issue. That's interesting. Maybe that's, that's a mahalach. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. All right. Yashar Kayach, everybody. Yashar Kayach.